Oh, it's great to worship together and to serve together. And today, it's really a, an honor for me to introduce to you a man who was here a couple weeks ago and really got formally introduced at that time, Pastor Jim College. Jim is serving for us right now in position of mentor, teacher, counselor, uh, advisor, coach, all of those things, and to our church, to me, to our staff, to our elders, and then leading us and helping us as we go through our search uh, pastoral search time. So uh, it's great to have Jim here. Would you welcome him as he comes to speak to us? Oh boy, great to be here. I love the, I got to hear Randy twice. Um, so you're pretty good at that. You didn't forget anything. Um, are you going to sit there and listen to me twice? Uh-oh, trouble. He'll get all the gaps. One of the things I, um, it is good to be here. Thanks for uh, allowing me to par- be a part of what, what is happening here at uh, Willoughby Hills Friends. There's some exciting days ahead, I'm sure. Um, one of the things I noticed, this, uh, it was the, the emphasis on relationship. Um, when I saw Steve get up in, uh, in the first service, he talked about a baby he was dedicating, uh, he'd perform the wedding of the couple that were dedicating their baby. And I was telling him um, last week, I was preaching at Christ Community Chapel in Hudson and and doing baby dedication. I was dedicating the babies of people that I had dedicated years ago. So you stay anywhere long enough, you get to do stuff like that. Uh, What's going to be really strange if I do start doing weddings of people that I did the weddings of their parents. I hope I don't live that long. Um, But I think relationships are so important. Um, And uh, Randy alluded to that. Mission trip connects you not only to the people you go with that perhaps you've never met, but in that devotional time connects you with the Savior who bought you. Um, In the song we were singing with um, We Sing Hallelujah. Uh, Do you know why you sing, God has invited you to sing hallelujah or say hallelujah? It's a compound Hebrew word. Hallel or halle is praise. Yah is the shortened word for Yahweh. Think of it like this. My formal name when I'm introduced somewhere is James E. College. But the people who know me well, they're invited to call me Jim, my nickname, if you will. What God does to those he calls his friend, the people that he has redeemed, he invites you to praise him with the name Yah, intimacy. It is a privilege to be able to to do that in worship. Think about that the next time you sing. I think I noticed actually the the worship team singing with greater emphasis because of that. Oh, one other thing before I pray and get us started. Um, Faith promise. I just want to make a comment about that. I hope you are praying about that decision. And not so much because... It's, you feel like it's an obligation. 
but rather because you get to do something and see God work in you and through you. Years ago, Barb and I had been married, oh, I think maybe three years. Our first daughter was born. She was just little. And the church we were attending at the time where I had been taught how to give on a regular basis through tithes and offerings started a faith promise. And I remember getting that card, and Barb and I wondered, at the time I was a teacher, I was making $8,000 a year, which was a lot of money in, before there was dirt, and, and we were praying over what we should give. And Barb and I were talking between the services because I was I close to the right amount? She says, I don't even remember. But it was somewhere uh, we had decided to give, that God would have us give, somewhere in that range, which was a lot of money because we were already giving uh, faithfully out of what I was making at the time. And we thought, okay, Lord, if that's what you want us to give, we'll give it, but you're going to have to provide it. So as the year progressed, we were wondering, and I, and I, I, I like to fulfill my commitments, and I was wondering if it would come and and it was getting later and later, and we were coming closer and closer to the mission conference. And Barb was making these um, uh, Christmas ornaments out of dough. I don't, salt and dough and whatever. And she would paint them. Well, I took some to the school I was teaching, and when people saw them, they said, they, can we buy those? So Barb started making these and hand-painting every one, and we sold them. I'll tell you how much we sold them for, so you can kind of do the math, 50 cents a piece. We were laughing out in the uh, coffee area because 50 cents, we should have been charging like eight bucks. But uh, so 50 cents, and after we had sold them to fellow teachers and other people that found out about them, guess how much we came up with? our faith promise. That's what, so if you're sitting here kind of folding your arms going, yeah, well, let them, let them see, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss the opportunity to see God do something that's very unique. Pray with me, will you? Father, thank you for this time now as we open up your word. God, I pray that you will speak to each heart, that you will challenge us Father, I pray that you will use me as a tool in your hand. However you want, I surrender. Change us because we have met together and because we have heard from you. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We know that Jesus said everybody probably here has some exposure to Matthew 28. Where Jesus, right before he leaves... He tells his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples. And all of us know, I think, you've probably heard pastors do sermons on this, that the the go there is a present active participle, which means as you are going. So in your daily life, as you make disciples and help them to identify through particular means. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, it it tells us this, that you will, Jesus speaking, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are to be going. 
But what does that look like for us? It's, it's one thing to go back into the gospel of Matthew or look at the early section of Acts. What does it look like? What does it look like to us? Well, I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles, if you have them. The, some of the verses will be up on the screen. Acts chapter 3. The church has been launched. It is beginning to make an impact. It is beginning to spread. And there is this, this account in Acts chapter 3. And normally I would read it because of time today. I'm going to just take sections and you'll have to fill in the gaps. It begins this way in Acts chapter 3 verse 1 where it's recorded, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. That's close. It's related to the evening sacrifice, which is really not important for our discussion other than to place Peter and John into a context. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. As Peter and John are going into the temple, and they see this man set by the gate called Beautiful. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, there is this if you're standing on the eastern side of the old city, you can look across a valley over some, some graves and then across a highway now and then up towards this arched gate that's closed in with concrete. It was, it was closed in with stone and concrete by the Turks because they had heard this, as they felt, this myth that the Messiah was going to return and come through that gate. So in order to stop him, they filled it with stone and concrete, which I doubt is going to keep him from going through that gate, just so we're clear about that. But if you will imagine, this gate was in, incredible. It was so beautiful, and this beggar, with very little that he had, was, was placed there, crippled. He could not walk, and, and he would be placed in contrast, and he would sit there and beg. And then here comes Peter and John. Now, why is this important? Because when we are given an opportunity, and that's really what we're talking about, whether we're talking about world, global mission, or local mission, whether we're talking about the ministry of the church, or we're talking about the, that which spreads out from it, God places us in positions where we have opportunity, and we have to be ready for those. So we have to be able to seize the moment. That's the first thing I think that's shown here is that Peter and John seize the moment, first of all, by they start, they are living in the very presence of God. That's what he's asking you to do. If you're going to go into all the world and make disciples, if, if you're going to count on the power of the Holy Spirit to be the witnesses for Jesus Christ in all the world, then you, you live in his presence. That's a, that's a practice. That's a, that's a habit. That's what Peter and John were doing. They would go to the temple where they worshiped. That was what they knew. There was no ecclesiastical framework. There was no, there was no friends church. There was no Baptist church, no Methodist church. There, they, but they, they had this 
this practice, this, this worship practice in all of, its, all of its substance. Not the kind of artificial, just doing it because it was, it was part of their regular day, but because it was an opportunity to meet with the God who gave them life. You can come to any, you can come to this church or any other and simply bark the party line, as I, I like to say. I mean, any of you who've been here for any length of time, you know how the, the, the liturgy, even though the Friends Church is considered a free church, you have liturgy whether you know it or not. You do certain things, you know when to stand, you know when to sit, you know how to pray, you know when to sing, you, you know all the, and it can be just something you do. But what if, what if part of that was living in the very presence of God? What if coming here was making you aware for the week to come that you live in the presence of God? That's what Peter and John, Peter and John were doing. They were living in the presence of God. And then they, when the opportunity came, they were ready to respond to it. A man looked, wants something from them. And so they see the opportunity, they respond to him, and the mission is accomplished. When the opportunity presents itself, you must seize the opportunity. And it starts by living in his presence and the opportunities come. You walk outside these doors right now and if you're living in the presence of God, the awareness of his Holy Spirit that indwells you, Every time you walk by a table, something's going to turn in your heart and turn you towards that. Respond. Seize the opportunity. And then, when you get involved, when God does something incredible with you, as you invest yourself locally or globally, shift the focus right away. Look at verse 11. It says this, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we have made this man well? And then he goes on to say the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, he's the one who has done this. You see what they do? They shift the focus right away, from, away from themselves because you, when God does something unique in your life, when he uses you to touch, for a pastor, one of the things that, that are, that's always difficult is when, if, if God allows you to preach in a manner that moves people's hearts, or if you minister to a family that somehow gives comfort and then, then you're thanked or you're told what a, I'm not looking for anything. I'm not looking for congratulations. I'll probably have to run out the door the other way now. But they tell you you've done a really good job. You gotta shift the focus because it's so easy to say, oh yeah, yeah, I'm pretty good. <laughs> no. No, because if God... If God uses you in that, in that context, you have to shift 
the focus. So what they did, what Peter did, is it begins with humility. It must go there. You and I must recognize that it is the power of God that works in you for his glory, not for yours, not for mine. It's all for Jesus, every bit of it. But then he doesn't stop there as he shifts their focus away from himself and away from John. He has to do something else. He has to bridge the animosity. If you will, take a look at verse 13, and it says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. Now, oftentimes when you read that, it sounds pretty harsh, but I, but I think Peter, and I'll tell you why in a moment, I think there was a compassion on these people. I think it was said something just like this. You handed them over to be killed, and you just owned, you just owned him before Pilate. You killed the author of life, down in verse 15, but God raised him We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see has been made well. And now listen to this in verse 17. Now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance. The word ignorance for us today oftentimes makes us interpret it as somebody calling somebody an idiot or stupid but it's used in the classic sense. It's used in the sense of Peter with incredible compassion saying, you just didn't know. You just didn't know. And it's it's if he's saying, can I just tell you a little bit more? It's okay. And if anybody could speak like that, it would be Peter, wouldn't it? I mean, Peter, when he would look back on his life, when he would see what was happening, when he, would, when, he, when he would speak, there would be this, I'm certain there would be this softness and this tenderness, not compromising the truth, not softening in any way, but saying, oh, I know you didn't know, but you did kill him. You did disown him. You did treat him. Poorly. And frankly, every one of us that sits here today, there was a time in our life, unless you have not come to faith in Jesus yet, you, you, and even you who have yet to be saved, you, you put him to death. I did. He wouldn't have had to gone there if I had not sinned. I turned my back on him, so did you. But we did so in ignorance. We did so in darkness. And God opens up for us this opportunity to know him. You've got to seize the opportunity when it's presented. You've got to seize the moment. You've got to shift the focus, and then you've got a call to decision. Look at verse 19. It says this, repent then 
and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. You seize the moment, you shift the focus, and then you have to call for a decision. And why? Because it's got to be specific. Repent. Repent so that your sins may be forgiven. Repent so that times of refreshing may come. Repent so that he may send the Christ, so that you may have forgiveness, so that you may have peace inside. There is a settledness that comes. You know, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, there was something inside of you that you finally decided, you finally sensed, ah, I have that peace that I've always longed to have. Oh, and how we need it today. We are approaching an election that has caused all kind of grief. I know that. But trust me, if you're concerned about who's going to be the next president, here's what I can guarantee you today. The next president will be exactly the person that we deserve. Exactly. The next president, let me say it again, will be exactly the person that America deserves. So if you're thinking somehow that you will find peace once this election is over, regardless of the direction it goes, you have missed the truth of the gospel. Because there's only one place you will find peace, and it is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the one who will settle this. And then, of course, this last, I love this, so that he may send his Christ. Listen, none of us know when the work will be done, but when it is done, when the last person that God has seen to bring to himself, then Jesus will return. That's what I'm waiting on. I am not going to put my hope in who's going to sit in the, the Oval Office of the White House. I'm going to come back to this. Peter speaks pointedly when he uses quotes from Deuteronomy, goes right to his audience. That's what we must do. We must speak, and we must speak with, in a personal manner. And then you accept the consequences. Look at verse 1 in chapter 4. It says this, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people, and they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The gospel made a penetration of a complete area and lives were transformed. When you seize the moment, when you shift the focus and when you call for decision, then accept the results or the consequences of that. And there'll be one of two things. 
It will either be consequences that, that are adverse or celebratory. What I mean by that, it says here that, that all the leadership were greatly disturbed. There were personal egos that were attacked. There were personal power that could have been lost. There was, there was personal comfort that would be threatened. There was personal prejudice that was exercised. That will always happen when the gospel is presented. But when people's lives are transformed, then celebrate it. Embrace it and rejoice in the transformation of even one. Opportunities are all around us. But we have to be ready to seize the moment by living in his presence. We have to shift the focus from ourselves to Jesus. We have to be specific in calling people to decisions and then we have to rest in the results. Jesus is at work here and he's at work around the world. Will you join him as a follower of Jesus Christ? And if you are not, will you consider Jesus, the one who said, I have come to give you life and that life abundantly. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to proclaim the truth of your word. I pray that even in these hurried moments that you will take these words perhaps jumbled at times and by your Holy Spirit pierce our hearts with the truth of our Savior Jesus in whose name we pray, amen.